So today we're engaging this conversation called You Believe That? And, and last week we, we talked about uh, the creed, what we believe. And, and, and so uh, but depending on your background, if you have a very liturgical background or you went to uh, a Catholic school or something along the, that nature, you maybe have said the creed a ton in your life or maybe you just have heard about the Apostles' Creed. And so we just talked about that in depth. And then we went into the resurrection being the center of everything we believe as Christ followers. And it, and it begins to help us to take steps because we bring questions. If you are pursuing faith, you have questions. Or if you're someone who believes in Christ, you have friends and they're like, do you actually believe that? And they wonder about your faith and it causes us to take different steps. And so we're just engaging, like, why do we believe these things? And so uh, I'm just going to read once again as a recap through the Apostles' Creed. And some of you may have this memorized in your heart but because you said it so many times. But it says this. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And this is our creed. This is not something that's written in Scripture, and they call it the Apostles' Creed, but the Apostles actually didn't give it to us through through uh, good theology and, and research. They, they understand and know this, but it was something that the, that um, was, was put together to help batter, battle heresy and, and false information about our beliefs and it created this uh, a unified thing that the church worldwide still recites and believes today to help us state our faith in such a powerful and simple way. But what does that, how does that translate into us following Christ? When we think about what we desire what we want in our life. We want strength, right? We want to be strong. We want to have comfort. We want to know that we're okay. We want to have power to be able to live our life well. And we want to have peace, to be able to rest and actually enjoy our life. These are things we deep down desire inside. And we believe as Christians, those who said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, that everything we do starts with him. And so our belief is all centered on his resurrection. Because without the resurrection, his teaching didn't mean anything because he staked everything upon himself. And so that's why when he died, when he was crucified, his followers scattered and were in fear and were in hiding. They were confused and they were hurt because everything was about him. But then he rose again and suddenly everything came true. Everything that he said, including saying that he would die and rise, raise from the grave. He said that it was going to happen, and then it happened. And so we're like, we're with you. It proves that you are the Son of God, and it proves that we have eternal life. It makes our lives significant, and it brings us hope. So everything we do starts with that, and he is it. So our identity, our identity is in Christ. Our world is full of everybody saying, this is my identity, this is, this is who I am, and, and it's this, and maybe it changes, and we say, well, you know, I was this, and, you know, it could be in a sports team, it can be any type of thing. Like, there's so many ways in which we find our identity, and we're really, many of us, searching for something that really makes us have, brings us meaning. 
And so as, 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 as people in general, we want to say, you know, like, listen, uh, so as Christ followers, we say, we're, we're, our identity is in you, we follow you. We believe that there's one God, the Trinity, and the only way to be brought back to God is through Jesus. And so we want to follow what he says. We want to follow what he says. We just sang this song, I'll follow you anywhere. And, and maybe some, some cringeworthy lyrics, some of you might be standing there saying, I don't know if I can sing this. Like we, we were singing, whatever it cost me, all I am is yours. But our natural response is different than that. We were like, I want to go my own way. I want to do whatever I want. I want to live the life that I've been given to, to lead. And God has given us that freedom. He's made us with freedom to choose what we want. A loving God doesn't force anything on us. He's given us freedom to make our own decisions, whether to choose him or not. And so it's true. You can do whatever you want. So God gave us that choice to go our own way if we wanted to. So as Christ followers, you say, what do you believe? Well, we say we give up that right for his sake. We give up the right that we would want for him. So we are declaring that he is better. He is the ultimate. He is, for me, he is my Lord. As Christ followers, that's what we say that I want you to lead my life. I want you to direct me. That's why when we become, uh, when we choose to follow Christ, one of the first steps we take in obedience is, is baptism. And maybe you've seen baptism and going under the water and back up. That is, that is one of the things that Jesus has asked us to do as a first step. And it doesn't always make sense, and it may even seem a little strange, but it's this great celebration. It's this picture of what's happened on the inside. It's kind of like the wedding ring. It shows what has happened to us, and it's showing that we have died with Christ. We've been raised, and we've been washed clean to a new life in Him. And it's this great celebration we have when we see that God has called one of His people back to Himself. They found Him. And so baptism is this step where we say, you are my Lord, you've asked me to do that, and I'm going to do that. And then our life is led like this. So you might look at that and say, why would you do that? <laughs> you give up your right to follow Him? Do you is that really? And maybe you're a Christian and think, I don't know if I really do that or not. Like, why would you do that? that? What gets us to that point to say, you are my Lord. I am yours. Well, we have realized something. We've realized that we need saving. There's something that's wrong, and we need to be rescued. So everything around you and me is just saying constantly out loud, you can do this on your own. And, and as humans, we are, God has given us incredible abilities. He's given us the ability to dream and to think about things in the future. And we're seeing that happen. We build these amazing buildings that tell the weather with lights. It's incredible. And so, you know, we, so we say you can do it and you can make your own future or things that we say, right? Or you determine everything. And these motivational words and the things around this, it's compelling, it's powerful. And then I hear, I hear statements, I hear this about every week now, where someone says, my goal in life or my purpose or my business is to spread positivity. And we want to be cheerful people. We want to be kind. And, and so we say these things out loud to, with the best intentions and meaning for our lives. 
And we have a culture that's like, we want this world to be positive. We want these things to happen. And so I don't actually fully understand what that means. And I'm not trying to stop on you. Like, if that's something that's really important to you, we say that with great intentions and purpose. But what's interesting is we simultaneously struggle on the inside. We'll say that out loud. I want to be positive. I want this world to go well. I want my life. I want to be a good influence on others. But we, but we simultaneously are struggling on the inside. We're struggling with the world that is around us and the world that we see, the brokenness of the government that we're part of or, the, or other governments that we see happening and doing things in the world. We're, we struggle with the brokenness of climate or religion or just people that you live around or the families that you're interacting with, the drama, and maybe even yourself. The struggles we encounter in our own lives, we can't even keep up our own standards. We blow it to ourselves and we're ashamed of that. We have struggles with health or job issues or family and things that are nagging that come up in our lives. And we just, we want to project this outward thing, but inwardly we struggle. And we can't reconcile that. And that's why we're shocked when we see someone in public suddenly either like blow it or just give up, or something happens, and, and it's always a shock, right? It's always like, how did this happen? Recently, um, this is a, a very high-profile high story. Um, the the uh, very talented actor Michael K. Williams suddenly died in New York City. So I'm sure many of you probably may be familiar with his all over the news. Um, he's an incredible actor. He was, if you, I, I never watched The Wire, but if you watch The Wire, he was in that, and he's been in many other things. And it was believed to be, I believe, I think it was a heroin overdose. And this was widely lamented all over the press for a long time. And so you couldn't really open up any browser or go anywhere without seeing this being reported. And people were just shocked and they were lamenting this. And so as I was reading about this, I saw this interview with the singer, songwriter, rapper Akon. And he apparently was a good friend of his. He was just kind of impromptu interviewed somewhere, I think in California, but anyway... I was fascinated by his comments, and he was just really just off the cuff. He's just speaking. He says he was actually a really, really good friend, an amazing person, super funny, super talented. He says it's definitely a sad day for everybody. And he says, and, he, and he's just beginning to talk out loud, and then he says this statement. He says, the famous and the rich go through more issues than the poor. He says, you know when they say more money, the more problems? He goes, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. But that statement, it stood out to me. He says, the famous and the rich go through more issues than the poor. So here is Michael Williams. He's it's someone who was excellent at his job. Like he, was, he was at the top of his profession, right? And he was award-nominated, winning. He was successful. He was rich. <clears throat> But he was struggling. And so he died in his Brooklyn penthouse. I mean, that, that's somebody who has a lot of money, right? Just say those words together, you know, like that's. And we think, okay, if I had this, if I could get to this point, for many of us, maybe you say, if I had this amount of money, if I knew I had financial security for, for life, I would be okay. If that would just happen to me. 
What's interesting about this, you know, it says the rich have more problems than the poor. The truth is to that, that we all struggle. There's no one that is immune. There's no families or interactions that doesn't hear about overdose or depression or anxiety. It hits at every level, every socioeconomic level. It happens to Christians and non-Christians. It doesn't mean that like, you know, follow Christ and suddenly your life is amazing. You're not affected by everything around you. It hits at every single level. We all struggle, but we all think if I just had this, if I was just at this position, if this went well for me, then I would be okay. But even when we get what we want, you see that people are struggling. They're struggling. And what we see is that the more self-centered a culture becomes, the more problems it has. Tim Keller is, talks about that. He says, we are less equipped now in our Western culture to deal with pain than any other time in history. So we, we think the answer is me. We just improve myself, and I improve, and I improve, and I focus on me. And, I, and, and, and the COVID is right, hit this so hard. We're like, how can I bring comfort to myself? But it's not working so despite every advancement we've made with technology and medicine or vaccines, we still struggle. It doesn't feel like we're getting better. We can't get past it. So as Christ followers, we identify this. And we see this all throughout our creed, is there's a problem of sin. That, we've, that we're broken, not just beyond the, the thing I might have done wrong this week or the person I hurt. As a whole, we're broken, and that sin weakens, it deceives, it deprives. It deprives us of the beauty that we seek, that we long inside for the comfort, peace. We read these, couple, these short passages last week, but listen to the psalmist, and, and we have this outward-inward struggle. And here is a psalmist just speaking about his inward heart, he says, and this is found in Psalm 38, verses 3 and 8 together. It says, because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. It's like I'm physically sick. He says, I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Sin destroys everything around us. We see throughout scriptures that it, it destroys even the, the the world, the natural world, it's suffering, all of it, even to our physical body. Psalm 40, 12, the psalmist says here, For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. It, it, it zaps your vigor, your drive for life, your desire to do well at work. It covers up your, like you can't see your way out. It just clogs your ability to see clearly the future. We all are impacted by this. <clears throat> and so the struggle then is that we don't want to actually look at ourselves as the problem. And so this is where this all kind of really comes down to. And this is a first major point for us today, is that we just don't want to look at ourselves as the problem, that, that we, that I, that you could be the issue. And that's really what this is. Like, are you, you, might, you might have a problem. You might have something in you that's an issue. 
And this is so against everything around us in our culture, right, to point that out, to say that. So, so when we feel that shame, when we feel that, that thing coming from within us, we, we just got to point the finger back. Like we do whatever we can to, at people or things or circumstances or whatever's going on, and I do this, you do this, all of us. I'm not saying that. I'm, I do this. I'm actually pretty good at this, right? So we point it at a political candidate or a party. So we say the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, or it's another country, or it's this person person in my life, if my boss would be this different, or we just blame, and then we absolutely either consciously or subconsciously blame God. And so we ask that question, God, how could you allow so much suffering in the world? So we point it outwards. We, the, the condemnation that we feel on the inside from this is too much, and so we've got to divert. We've got to do a new thing, or we chase some new opportunity, something to avoid whatever this is. And so we want the freedom to say, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm going to live my life the way I want it. We want the freedom. And so we say, God, you've been holding out of me. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want with the things here that bring, make me happy. But we don't want the responsibility for the actions that we choose. So we say, God, why is all this evil in the world? Like, what did you do? <laughs> like, it's not me. We want the freedom, but not the responsibility. We want to cry out for justice for others, and we should do that, and that's important, but, but don't, just don't point the finger at me. Don't bring justice to me for something I've done. Admitting that where the problem is hard, but interestingly enough, it's the first step towards God, and I would say towards freedom. It doesn't seem like that should happen, but it's the first step towards freedom. Listen to John, he, someone who knew Jesus well. He's teaching us, and this is found in 1 John chapter 2. He says, he says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. I've got to have this, got to have this, I've got to have a new phone. I've got to, like, we just have a craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and our possessions. He says, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This is... An amazing scripture passage. It's convicting. Now, we live in this creation that God has given us and we enjoy it, but it's not the ultimate. He's like, there's a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, the stuff, and pride in our achievements. It blinds us. He's like, listen, this is all that stuff. None of it lasts. It fades away quickly, day to day, week to week. But pursuing God is the only thing that lives eternally. It's the one thing that lasts. It's what will ultimately bring us life. So as Christ followers, we have come to a specific conclusion, a moment in our lives, and it's not 
these little things first. It's not this like, I'm drinking too much, so I should probably, I need to do something about that. Or I just need to be kind like Ted Lasso, right? Like I, I need that in my life. I need to be kind like he is. Or I need to stop and you just fill in the blank, whatever that is happening right now for you. That's not what it is. We've come to this conclusion that we're a problem. I'm an issue. Like, I need saving. I cannot do this on my own. I have a bigger thing happening with me. I'm an issue. There's problems in the world, but first, me. I want to share with you this incredible story, what we would call a parable that Jesus shared to help illustrate a point. And and this is a famous parable. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It just shows God's heart for us in incredible ways. And he, he's, he, he goes to three parables in a row, a row, one about the lost coin, one about the lost sheep, and then about the son. And it's a story about two sons who are far from God. But one we know is a prodigal son. So he demanded that his father give him his half of his inheritance, which would have meant selling everything, like half of everything they had, their property. And he takes this money and he blows it, blows it all in himself, and he wastes it all. And then he ends up in this place where there's a famine and he, he's so broke. And at the bottom, like he's, he's feeding pigs just for some money and what he's feeding them, he's hungry for. And so it says here in Luke 15, 17, he says, when he came to his senses, like it took him a while even then, right? So he says, he, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And he, his father greets them. And this is, he says it. He says, the son said to him, Father... What does he say? I have sinned. He admits it. He's like, I shouldn't have done this. I've sinned against God and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, the last thing you and I want to do is admit it. Like, I mean, just think about his pride. It took a lot. For that son, he had a lot. They broke. Like, it was a lot of breaking for him. Like, for him to get to that point, it's so hard for us. And for him, it took a lot for him to even see and realize that. That you and I, we, we believe that we were lost without Christ. So our anxieties, our struggles, our fights, our anger, our pride, our unwillingness to listen, the fear of others, our fear of death, our fear of just what's coming, we don't even know what's happening. We just fear whatever it is. It starts with us. Whatever is clogging your heart, it starts with me. And so why would we do that? Why would we say and admit that? Like, like that's the very thing everything in our culture is avoiding. Like Twitter is all about not admitting. It's like my stance doubled down. Right, I'm, if I'm going for this. It's what it is. It's everything. Like if, if the lawyers in our midst with us, like like they're cringing at this. Like just don't do this. We'll find a way around this. Like this was incriminating. Like that's just our natural bent is we don't admit it. Admitting brings shame. It it could cause problems with someone. It accuses you. But then we're like the weight. 
all this. Sin is so great. Do you feel it? Do you see it around us? Like you just read the headlines. You're like, we just can't figure this out. But it's in our heart. And so how beautiful is this, that we have a God who is a God of love. Because of Christ, he takes that shame. So let's go back to the story. Let's listen to what happened. So the son says, we like reverse, we're going back again. It says, I will sit out and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. So he got up and went to his father. It says here, I left this part out. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father's looking for him and was filled with what? Anger? Filled with Fury, like you sold my servant, get out, like send the servants to chase them away. No, it says he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is a son who defrauded him, took everything that he had built, sold it, and blew it all. So the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But what does the father do? So the father said to his servants, quick, bring the, bring the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which meant you belong. You're mine. You're one of us. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. They threw a party. God loves to party. It's all throughout this, this chapter. So we should throw some parties. All right. It is at this very moment of shame, of humility, that Jesus meets us with forgiveness, mercy, grace, and celebration. It says the angels rejoice and throw a party. I don't know what your view of God is like, but he's been fighting all along for you to come back to him. As Christ followers, what do we believe? We, we've discovered that Jesus is the ultimate thing that we can pursue. It's better than the other options. And so we give it up for him. He's the ultimate. And from him, we desire and find strength, comfort, power, peace. We're recognizing the power of sin, and we're walking away from it. It's not the source. And so if you're pursuing what it means to follow Christ, there is a point where we come to we understand that we're proud of the part of the problem, that there's something wrong with me, and we can't fix it. We need someone to rescue us, and only Christ can. So his resurrection speaks hope to us because it means that he has defeated death and he came to take our place and take our shame. Do you believe that? If you want to know more about that, you can join me. We have a class called Follow. I'd love to walk you through that, through that with you. I'd love to meet you for coffee and just talk about that more. But for the Christ followers here today, I want to ask you, how is your heart? How are you? How are you doing right now? Have you let other things become the ultimate instead of Christ? Are you able 
to give financially out of the abundance you have? Are you hoarding? Are you greedy? Are you struggling with that? Or can you take time off and actually rest and trust him with what isn't done? Can you trust him with rest and experience the peace that he longs for us to have? Are you worried or fearful or anxious? What's clogging your heart? How can you come back to him? Maybe it's taking the step of being in a dinner group and being in community with others. Something that allows you to begin to take steps and and experience God and find your way back to him. I want to end with this psalm, and then we'll pray. Let's listen to this. We're not going to put it on the screen. We'll just listen to this today. Psalm 95, 1 through 7. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture flock under his care. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and your work in our lives. God, I pray that we would not be afraid to admit what we've done or who we are because it's in that very moment we experience your grace and your forgiveness. Father, I pray that we would take steps towards you today. We ask all this in Jesus' name.